Welcome to Gravetop Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and today we are going to be talking about the concept of Good Friday. Good Friday is coming up, but I want us to really unpack the idea of the Good Fridays of our lives because for me, nothing really seems good about Good Friday. You know what I'm saying? It, it seemed like everything leading up to what Good Friday represents to the point of Good Friday itself and even the day after Everything about Good Friday was complete tragedy in a testing of hope. And today we're going to try to answer some of the questions that we have when we are facing those Good Friday moments in our lives. To kind of back up, for me, I was not raised in church like many of you know, but I remember the, the moment, the day that I learned what Easter was about. Maybe you knew since you were a little kid, but I, I never even realized what it was about until a year into my faith, a little over a year where I was in a ministry school and it was around Easter time and all of a sudden I noticed on the screen it said he rose and I started putting two and two together and I realized I was like, oh, well, that must be what Easter is about because there's Easter as he rose, maybe that's a resurrection and well, two days before that, that's, that's Good Friday, so that must be when Jesus was crucified and Easter is when he rose from the dead. And I just never knew that. And so as we unpack that, I want us to really grasp what Good Friday really represents. Why is it good? I always find it so curious of how we use so many pretty colors and pastels and just like this prettiness surrounding the time of Easter and Good Friday because it is just so much tragedy, death, this, this torture scene, and we liven it up with all these pretty colors, fl flower shirts, right? And I want us to understand how we can get something good from something so bad. To start us off, I want us to think about the concept that some tragedies seem impossible to come back from. And I want to start off in Luke chapter 23, verse 33 through 38. And it says, When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself. If he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. And they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. See, this is just like, I feel like even this, this couple of verses, it doesn't really give the depth to all that Jesus was enduring. I mean, it literally just says in a couple words, and Jesus was crucified. It's so easy to just go over that and continue reading, but I want us to just pause and reflect of how, how dark and tragic this experience truly is. I mean, this is, the, this is a moment for Jesus where his greatest fears, his greatest worries 
are being fulfilled in this moment. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, think about how he was praying so intensely that it says that that it, his sweat became like drops of blood. Some people believe that his his stress was so intense that his capillaries were literally bursting in his face, while others believe that he was literally sweating so much that it was like blood dripping down because it was just pouring all of the stress and anxiety he was facing. I mean, for 30 years, he was building up to this moment and he was so anxious about it that he was praying to God saying, if possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. I mean, all of this stress, all of this worry is being fulfilled in this moment. And so think about for you, that, 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 that passive fear that you have in the back of your head that you're always just kind of, not necessarily frightened about, but it's this fear deep within inside of you. For Jesus, this is a big, big fear that is being fulfilled on this day. Not only that, it says that this betrayal, I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, Judas betrayed him. You're talking about an intimate, personal betrayal to where it was, it was lasting effects. It wasn't just somebody talking bad about him. This was an intense betrayal. When you look at the false accusations, I mean, that's such like a professional term, right? False accusation. But it's one thing for people to talk bad about you behind your back, but another thing for everyone to join in on saying that you did something that you didn't do to the point where there literally is a violent mob around you. Now, I've been in some bad workplace meetings where it seemed like none of my coworkers liked me at the moment, but I've never had a violent mob literally shouting their hatred about me. You know, that's, I, I, I can't even imagine this scene for Jesus. And for us to really be, really understand that this is, this is everyone surrounding him, spitting at him, yelling at him, just this pure hatred for him. And then all to the point where they're beating him and, and he goes to the pilot. And in the moment that he was in front of Pilate, Think about how he's he's sleep sleep deprived. He's he's been beaten all night, and 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 think about how like delirious he could be at this point. And then when Pilate says that he has that he finds no fault in him, that he wanted to release him. Think about how possible it could have been that a, a false hope would have rose in his heart that maybe I don't have to do this, and only to have that hope completely destroyed as they yelled out, crucify him. And I think about the immense emotion that this, this 100% God and 100% man Jesus was experiencing as he was experiencing this mental and physical torture. And in the, the humiliation, not only was he crucified naked for everybody to, to just, uh, him to be exposed to everybody, but in this last verse where it says that they held up this sponge soaked with sour wine, what that was is what they would use in the toilets. That's, that's how they would use to wipe themselves. They're, so they're, they're, this humiliation is literally bringing up to his face, putting up to his mouth, this urine and feces smoke, uh, soaked sponge up to his mouth saying, you thirsty? Drink some of this. I mean, it is utterly tragic. And to top everything off, he experiences an isolation that no one on this earth will ever truly feel. I mean, we can feel alone. Don't get me wrong. But even in our loneliness, even in our isolation, even when we don't recognize it, we still experience the love of God. 
For Jesus on the cross, there's a moment where God had to turn his face from him because he was bearing all of the weight of the world's sins. And so he had complete isolation to where he cries out, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. And he has this moment of complete isolation. And see, this, this tragedy is it's, it's so bad. It's so dark. And, and yet we call it Good Friday. We may, we may go through these kinds of tragedies ourselves in our own lives. I don't know about to this extent that Jesus goes through, but we have our own tragedies. The difference, though, is when we face tragedies, it is not always necessarily for a reason. I really hate that saying that everything happens for a reason because I don't find it biblical. See, this world is broken and it's dominated by evil and the devil. Pain and misery may come, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we were meant to experience that pain and misery. The Bible says that God does not tempt us to sin. And so much of the evil we experience in this world is done by the sin of man. If God does not tempt us to sin, then God is not leading anyone to inflict that kind of pain on another person. In fact, look at what it says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 through 13. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans of good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. See, this was a promise given to the people of Israel, known as the people of God, and now we are adopted into that, that category. We are people of God. And so this is prophetic meaning to us that God is saying that he has plans of good and not for disaster. That means that just because you experienced something painful and it was able to years later turn into this purposeful moment, that, that is just God's power of redemption. It does not mean that God wanted you to experience tragedy or wanted you to experience pain. In Isaiah 54, 17, it says, but in that day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. Think about how this verse is saying that no weapon will prosper. No weapon will really succeed against you. And what, what we see in our lives is what the devil meant for bad, God is able to turn into good. And just because you experienced tragedy or darkness or pain, it may not have been God that, that destined that for you, but because you experience it, when you call out to God, he can turn what was bad and turn it into good. He can turn the the plans of evil, the weapons against you, and cause them to fail by making something meaningful out of something so ugly. And so if we understand that these tragedies that we experience are, are not always this idea of part of God's plan, that, that how can we face such tragedy, such darkness, and make it through? And how can this bad, bad Friday be ever seen as a good Friday? It, it all requires hope. Hope, the hardest thing about it is the silence. The hardest thing about hope is the silence and the waiting. Look at what it says in, in Luke chapter 23, verse 50 through 56. So we looked at the 
this moment of Jesus from his perspective. Now I want to switch perspectives to the followers of Jesus, especially the, the women who were following Jesus. It says, Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, and he was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea of Ju in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long linen sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon. So his body was laid in the tomb late Friday afternoon, the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. And then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time that they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. See, what we're seeing in this moment is that these women who were followers of Jesus, they believed wholeheartedly that he was the Messiah. And when he was crucified, they're utterly confused. They don't know what to think anymore, but they are desperate. See, that's the thing about hope is that you don't need it until you're really desperate. It is always painted as this like pretty cursive lettering. It's on coffee mugs for crying out loud. It seems like this, this pretty elegant thing. But hope is only necessary when you're struggling. And for these women, they were struggling with the concept that the person they were believing in, they believed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And all of that seems utterly confusing as they feel helpless and powerless to do anything about it. And look at their lives. They were known, most of them were known as ex-prostitutes, as sinners, as people that weren't even allowed in other people's homes. Think about that for a second. And so when they saw Jesus die, all of their hopes were crushed. All of their hopes were tested. What else are they going to do now? They, they thought they were having this new life change, that everything bad about their lives was going to change because of Jesus. And now they see Jesus die. And think about their hope being tested in this moment. And see, when we feel so tested and so helpless, we try to do anything that we can. See, and that's what they do is that they're like, well, let's just honor his body. Like maybe he still is the Messiah. Let's honor his body. We, we can, we can get all the spices and give him a proper burial. And so they start doing anything that they can do to try to make something good out of something bad. And see, that's what we do in our good Friday moments or our bad Friday moments is we try to do anything and everything we possibly can within our hands. But even still, you know, I haven't said that they worked all throughout the night. He was laid in the tomb Friday. They were watching the whole thing. And it says by the time they were done, it was the Sabbath. That means it was already Saturday. So they didn't sleep. And you know how it is when you're going through something tragic, you can't sleep, you can't eat, you just, and so they keep their hands busy. Like, let's just get this stuff ready and, and we'll figure out what we're going to do next. And then all of a sudden the Sabbath comes and they're terrified of the religious leaders who just crucified their king. And so they're waiting according to the religious law for the Sabbath so that they don't get stoned to death. And think about the silence that day. You think they're having conversations? You think they're just, they're just uh, you know, shooting the breeze? There's just silence as they wait. As they don't know what's going to happen, they just wait in that silence. And hope is the only thing that can carry you through. It just no one usually talks 
about how difficult that silence is, how difficult that hope really is, how testing it is of your hope when you feel like everything was taken from you, when you feel like you're helpless and powerless to do anything better for it. It makes me think about this verse, Micah 7, chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. It says, As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. For though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And see, this is not this like peppy coming, you know, I'm going to be strong. He's having to tell himself, though I am darkness, God will have to be my light because I have nothing else. He's not saying this with a smile. He's saying this with tears. And I think if we understand that that's really what hope is, is an endearment when you feel helpless, it, it helps better prepare your soul when you're experiencing that, that Good Friday moment, that bad Friday you're, that you're waiting to turn into a Good Friday. And see, it, it, it leads us into this last pace of what heaven is like. Heaven, God's goodness is isn't restricted by our lack of goodness. Let me say that again. God's goodness isn't restricted by our lack of goodness. Look, I want to jump back into another perspective. We looked at Jesus's perspective in the day that he's crucified and beaten and goes through all this tragedy. We looked at the, the, the women disciples who were following Jesus, all their hopes being crushed and having to endure the silence. And now I want us to look at the thief on the cross, St. Didymus and St. Dismas, and it says, One of the criminal, criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. See, this is one of those people that just talk trash to the day they die. I mean, he's, and for this scene, when people were crucified, in order to breathe, they would have to lift up on the nail in their feet. And so just to breathe, that's why it says when they, uh, when it came time for the criminals to die, that they broke their legs so that they would suffocate. And so for him to breathe, he's having to lift up on the nail on his feet in excruciating pain just to breathe. So to talk trash, he's literally intentionally just uh, having to do that. Ah, well, you know what? Save us too while you're at it. And he's literally enduring pain just to talk trash. But look what it says by the other criminal. It says, the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? He's saying, are you serious? Can you just shut up? We're all up here dying and you have to still talk trash? It says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done, hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock and the light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down in the, uh, the middle. And then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands and with those he breathed his last. And see what we see is that on this day of utter darkness, literal darkness over the whole land, a solar eclipse happens when this is all happening, paradise was promised to a dying man that had done nothing to earn it. See, this man, while, while he is at his, at his last end, 
Think about what this day was like. He's he's one of the few people that understand Jesus to some extent because it is the worst day of his life too. It's the absolute worst day of his life. All of his fears, all of his worries are coming to fruition right now in this moment. And it says that that it, two thieves were crucified next to him. So let's just think about this for a moment, that he was a thief being crucified. Now, I, by the grace of God, my life has been changed and I've been saved and, and I'm a different creation. I'm a new creation in Christ. But before I gave my life to Christ, I did a lot more than stealing. It, I, I feel like stealing was the least of my, my concerns or my crimes. And even the Bible says that when a person steals, it's usually so that they could eat. And for me, I could tell you that the number one thing that I would steal before I gave my life to Christ was food. That's the number one thing. So let's just imagine for a moment that when this man would steal, he was always risking his life. Whether it was bread, but I mean, like even back then, like what could you possibly steal? It's not like he's robbing banks. It's not like he could go steal a TV, maybe steal someone's sandals. I mean, it's not like they had this, this, the kind of, the kind of riches that we have today. I mean, could you imagine being executed for stealing a chicken? I mean, this, this boy is experiencing execution for stealing for things that we wouldn't even consider that bad today. And here he is being crucified and he calls out to Jesus and says, remember me. That is the smallest seed of faith that you could see, right? And the Bible says that even if we have the, the seed, the, the faith, the size of a mustard seed, that we can move mountains. I feel like that's what this is right here. This is one of the smallest seeds of faith that we see that he doesn't even have, he doesn't have no water baptism. He doesn't have no declaration of repentance. He doesn't go through the sinner's prayer. He doesn't start tithing. He doesn't even start doing anything good. See, he has he did nothing after this moment. Isn't that counterintuitive to what we often promote as being a good Christian in churches today? You have to go through all these steps to be declared a good enough Christian. I, I, I'm a part of these different like Christian Facebook groups, and usually half the time they're just they're just accusing their fellow fellow brethren of not being genuine Christians. I mean, we got people saying Stephen Furtick isn't a good Christian. That he's a he's a wolves in sheep's clothing. This boy hasn't done anything good to earn something, any reputation. He hasn't done anything deserving of heaven, and yet Jesus says, "Today you will be with me in paradise." I, I think that we need to recognize that this is a glimpse of God's mercy, a glimpse of his goodness, and a glimpse of his ability to redeem even the worst day, the worst kind of Friday, and turn it into a good Friday. See, he, he, he gave something so precious in this moment. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10 through 13. It says, So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And if we are unfaithful, if you mess up, if you are not perfect, if you are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. See, it, it shows us that, that God's love isn't dependent on our performance. It is dependent on our faith. No matter how small that faith might be, it's dependent 
on that small seed of faith. And all this man had was that seed of faith. Look what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39. It says, And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing at all, in creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this, this, I I just got to say that this shows us the power of God's redemption through Jesus because in this moment, nothing could separate that man from the love of God. It was, it was that simple, that simple seed of faith. And for us, I want us to recognize that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even in our worst moment, it may seem like our prayers don't go past the ceiling. It may feel like we're alone, but this scripture is saying that nothing, not even the hell that you're going through, that can separate you from the love of God. And his power to redeem, his power to redeem even our worst day can turn it into a good Friday. I don't know how. All I know is that that hope That hope is all we got sometimes. And for you, maybe as I'm talking about this, you're going through some type of tragedy yourself and you're realizing that that those sayings that have been making you mad at God, like everything happens for a reason, it's been making you question God, it's been making you angry with God. Well, why, why, why? And maybe today you're realizing that it's not all for a reason, but that God can redeem this tragedy, that God can redeem this bad, this hell that you're going through, and he can redeem it. And you're realizing that God did not send misfortune to you. And you're realizing the very person that you're angry with is actually the very person that loves you the most. If that's you and you realize that you've never made a decision to put your trust in Jesus, and you want to do that today, the Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. It's saying as if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself, that's all it takes to start this journey with him, this relationship with him. And it's that relationship with Christ that saves us. It's not about how good or bad we think we are. It's about the simple faith in Jesus. If that's you, you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can have that conversation yourself. And I really urge you, I I really encourage you to have that conversation today. Even if you're just listening to this, pause and just make that prayer. Make that that conversation happen with you and Jesus. And I'm so grateful for you guys being a part. I hope that this message was edifying for you. I hope that it was encouraging you. If you're going through a hard time, I hope that this inspires any kind of seed of hope for you. It's hard. The silence and the waiting is hard, but I hope that I encourage you today. All that being said, I'm so grateful for you guys being a part of our online community. Thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church. If you have it on your heart to donate today, we want you to know that we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when you don't want to. It it is something to be done out of your own heart. And the Bible itself says that God loves a cheerful giver. And right before that verse, it says, do not give out of compulsion. But if, if you want to worship God through generosity today... You can do that by going to gravetopchurch.com, click the donate tab, and you're able to give online, or you're able to give through our, thir- our, our app. 
which is also just accessed through our website. But on the top of give, giving, I want you to know that it's a special act of worship. It's between you and God. We're simply stewards of that gift. But I want you to also know that that it makes a difference in our church. If this church has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to make an impact in other people's lives, when you give, it matters. It helps us to continue to get the, the ministry out of Gravetop Church. All that being said, I'm so grateful for you being a part. We love you so much, church. Have a great life.